When was the last time that you got in trouble? For some of you, you're going to have to think back a while to see when was the last time I got in trouble. Some of you, it's very recent. I can tell by some of the reactions here. Uh, maybe uh, at one point or another, all of us have been in trouble, right? Uh, when we're a small kid, sometimes we get in trouble because we did something that we knew was wrong. We did it anyway. Sometimes we get in trouble because we didn't know better, but we did something that we should have known. And we get consequences. Uh, then we grow up a little bit more and we're a teenager and maybe we get in trouble because we get it a little bit late past the curfew. Or when we get, become adults, sometimes we get in trouble for a variety of reasons. But what do you do when you get in trouble? Uh, around our house, when you get in trouble, you, you try to apologize and make things right and clear things up. Um, last time I was in trouble was it involved a refrigerator and some unmarked food. Um, if it's unmarked, it's free game, right? Fair game? Can I get an amen from the guys? <laughs> yes. If it's, if it's unmarked, you can eat it. All right? That's how it works. Uh, but we all get in trouble at one point or another. Well, well, King David, in Psalm 25, writes this psalm in a time of trouble. He, he's in trouble. We don't know what the trouble is in particular, we can speculate a little bit, but we do know that he's in trouble, and it's probably toward the end of his life. As you read through it, the language kind of indicates that it was probably, he was probably past middle age. And so there, maybe he's reflecting back on some of the troubles he's been in and some of the troubles he's in now. But regardless, we know that as David writes this psalm, it's in the context of, of trouble. And because of that, we can relate, can't we? Even though it was written 3,000 years ago, we can relate because we all... At one point or another, find ourselves in trouble. Maybe you're in trouble today. I don't know. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will find many troubles. It's just part of being human. Now, as we look at this psalm this morning, a couple of things to think about. We're continuing our summer sermon series, looking at different psalms. And we've chosen this because we've done a couple of times in the past, but we haven't got all the way to 250 psalms. There's a bunch of them. They're, they're beautiful psalms. And they really are expressive of the human condition. Some of the psalms express anger, some of them disappointment, fear, sadness, faith, hope, joy, on and on, doubt. The psalms express all sorts of things that we as human beings and we as God's people feel and experience. And this psalm in particular is a little bit unusual in that, like a couple other psalms, um, it's set up and structured in such a way that it's an acrostic each verse begins with the next letter of the Hebrew language. So David has this structured in, in a certain way. We see from the beginning, though, that David is in trouble. We see it in verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, and you, O I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame. Now, we do know there are three areas throughout David's life that that were troubling to him. The first was very, was, was physical. He had enemies. He was the king after all, so there was always somebody out to, to get him, to undermine him, to, to weaken him. We see that he, he acknowledges this in, in this psalm in a couple of places. Do not let my enemies triumph over me. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they, they hate me. It could have been that this psalm was written about an enemy from within his own family. 
You know the story of Absalom? Absalom, the, one of David's sons. Remember the story? The Bible says he was an incredibly handsome man. He was rebellious, one of David's favorites. He had long, flowing hair. If Paul was here, I'd make some jokes today, but he's not. And, and, and David, frankly, made some mistakes in raising Absalom. He spoiled him. And instead of gratitude, Absalom turned on him and declared himself king. And David runs out of the city fearing for his life. It could have been that enemy, that situation, that David was pinning this song about. It could have been that David was troubled by something else, even more insidious than human opponents. You see, David had lived a very good life in many ways, but he'd made some huge mistakes. And so as we read through the Psalms, we see at different points that David is troubled by his past. At different times, he expresses things, afraid that his sins might catch up to him, that the foolishness of the years gone by would, would come back to haunt him. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. So when he says his iniquity was great, what was he talking about? Well, we see in the scripture that there are times when he lied and he deceived. He, he committed adultery. He arranged for the murder of the woman he committed adultery with. And even though he confessed these sins and, and God had restored him, and there were consequences, of course, but God restored him and forgave him, every so often he would wonder if God would, would, was still holding these things against him. And David knew that those, also that those sinful tendencies were still within him. If he did it in the past, he could do it in the future. And so he's troubled by his enemies, he's troubled by his past, and he's hoping that it won't come back to, to get him. But there's something else going on here, too, with David. Verses 16 uh, through 18. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and distress. Lonely, afflicted, distressed. There's something going on here that we can't fully identify. Maybe there was a physical illness in his life. Maybe there was a relationship problem. Maybe it was an emotionally down time in his life. Maybe he's just dealing with old age. The loss of friends and family, the loss of strength and vitality. Feeling the pressure of, of younger men ready to take his position and his power. Whatever the particulars, when David wrote this psalm, he felt that he was in trouble. And because he can, we can identify. Because we've had trouble at home. Trouble on the job, trouble on the road, trouble at school, trouble with your car, trouble with the computer, trouble with your health. We all know what it is to have trouble. Now, let's be frank. Some of the trouble we bring upon ourselves, don't we? Through foolish mistakes, through laziness or whatever, poor choices. For instance, if you goof off at school, you're going to get in trouble, right? If you mess up an order or don't follow what your boss has told you at work, you're going to get in trouble. But some trouble is, is foisted upon us. A cantankerous neighbor, a, an unreasonable boss, an unfaithful spouse, an incompetent co-worker. Some trouble is, 
is put upon us. And some trouble just seems to happen because we live in a fallen world, right? Because we're human. You get sick. The roof leaks. A couple weeks ago, a tree branch fell and knocked a mirror off my car. Things happen. A tornado hits. The economy falters. Proverbs says this about trouble and the human nature. Man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. You know, I love the Proverbs because they just, they're so practical and they give you these word pictures. It's the idea of being around a campfire and you see the sparks going up in the air and, and there's always more to come after them. And so it is with trouble. And the natural thing to do is when we're in trouble is what? You call out for help, right? You, you try to find somebody who can help you to fix the issue, to get you out of the mess that you're in. For example, there's a true story about a man named Mark Ashton Smith. He, uh, a 30-year-old man at the time named Mark Ashton Smith. And he was kayaking off the coast of England when his kayak capsized. And he was, he was in treacherous waters, chilly, cold, and he was far from shore and there was no help in sight. And he called for help. Literally, he grabbed his cell phone and he, he called his father. And his father happened to be stationed 3,000 miles away in the Middle East training British troops. But the call miraculously got through. And his father passed the call through to the Coast Guard who located a rescue station one mile away from the young man where he was. And within 12 minutes, a helicopter pulled him out of the water. Now that's help. That's what we want. Someone who cares, someone who can do something about the mess that we're in. Ashton Smith called his father. David calls God. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. That's his, his instinctive and gut response in time of trouble. To turn to God. But even as he does, there's another instinct within him. He admits to a rising doubt. Verse 2. Do not let me be put to shame. In other words, don't let me down, God. See, David was the king and everybody was watching him. If he asked God to help him in this time of trouble and God didn't answer, that would be humiliating for him and, and for God. Don't let me down, God. Again, we can identify with David, can't we? We've all prayed that way in times of trouble. We pour out our hearts to God and say something like, don't let me down. You've simply got to get me out of this. You've got to get me through this. Please, don't let me down. But when we pray that, we also have the question, what if he doesn't? What if we pray for healing, for example, and healing doesn't come? What if we pray that, that God will provide for our family and that job doesn't come through? And that's what David is feeling. If just for a moment, don't, please don't let me down, God. Have you felt that way? Maybe that's where you're at today. But then David moves beyond that doubt to verse 3. He, he, puts him, he makes a choice to put himself back on track again. Verse 3, no one whose hope is in you will be put to shame. How did he move from doubt to trust so quickly? In the following verses, he, he, gives us, he tells us why. He gives us reasons that we can trust in God even in the midst of trouble, even when we're not sure how or when or he's going to respond. 
The first reason we can trust in God is in time of trouble is because God's love never fails. See, one of the first things sometimes we'll do when we're in trouble is, and, and, and it doesn't seem like help is coming, we, we wonder, does God love me? Uh, if he does, why is all this happening to me? Maybe he's lost interest in me. Maybe he's attending to somebody more important than me. Maybe worse, he's turned against me because of you know, the things that I've done. You know, I've talked with people in, in my office or in conversations, and they felt that way. Going through a, a divorce or illness or money problems or health issues or whatever, and they wonder, is it payback time? Is God punishing me for the things I've done in my past? Well, God's love does not work that way. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy, verses 6 and 7. Remember your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. In verse 10, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. Now, our English translation uses two words, loving and faithful. The Hebrew uses just one word. Two sentiments, one word. And that one word for loving and faithful is the word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. It's one of the most powerful and beautiful words in the Bible. It's a distinctive word for God's kind of love. Love that's everlasting, love that is committed for the long haul, love that is eternal and unconditional. It's a love that's, that never quits, that conquers every obstacle. A love that never runs dry, never falters, never wears thin. God's love for you and me never fails. And that is really good to know when we're in a time of trouble. Because sometimes we wonder. I'm thinking of the toddler who goes to the doctor and ends up needing a couple shots. And as the the needle pierces his or her skin and the pain begins to register in their eyes, they look at their mother or father and say, as if to say something like, how could you let them do this to me? I thought you loved me. And now they're poking this thing in my arm. And we're tempted to feel the same way when things begin to unravel in our lives. God, how could you let them do this to me? How can you let these things happen to me? But those difficult circumstances and difficult situations have nothing to do with with God's love. It's just life. We live in a fallen world. Sometimes bad things happen because we've made bad choices, but sometimes bad things happen simply because we live in a fallen world and things happen. So in Psalm 25, David's in trouble. And if for a moment he wonders if his past sins are going to come back to haunt him, if he's really been forgiven. And then he remembers that God is a God of love and his love never fails. You see, biblically, we can see that when God forgives something, he forgets it. Now, it's hard for us to grasp that as human beings because we forgive. We st- it's still back there once in a while. We'll think of something. You know, that, but we, even if it doesn't change how we relate to him, it's still there. But when God forgives, God forgets. There's no penalty after that to be paid. Jesus Christ on the cross paid for all of our sin. There aren't any loan payments, no interest payments. No record of wrongs, only God's love for you and me. Romans 8, which is one of the most powerful passages in the Scripture, it's a passage I've read 
in counseling, there are passages I've meditated on myself, passages I've read um, in, at the end of life with, with people. And in that passage, Paul talks about if anybody is against, if, if, if God is for us, who can be against it? And he goes to list all these things, these possibilities. What could be against us? And he lists height or depth or, or persecution or famine or hunger or nakedness or sword or violence. And, and he goes, even death cannot separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Now back to Mark Ashton Smith for a second. He, he capsized in the water. He calls his father. And his father answers. And he's, he's saved. We don't know anything about the rest of the relationship. At the time when he called, I mean, it could have been a, just an okay relationship that he they talked a couple times a month, maybe. It could have been great. It could have been really strained. Who knows? Uh, there could have been disappointment about past actions or attitudes, things that were said or things that weren't said. But he called his father because he knew his father loved him and would do everything in his power to save him. Now, I don't know what your relationship with God the Father is like. Perhaps you're here today and you feel distant or detached. Maybe you're disappointed with him or angry with him. Maybe you feel like you've disappointed him or let him down. Whatever the situation, know that he loves you with an everlasting love and has moved heaven and earth to save you and to rescue you on the cross. So when you find yourself in trouble, turn to God for his love never fails. The next reason we can always trust God is because God's ways are always right. And that's a good thing because when we're in trouble, we need not only someone who loves us, but someone who knows what to do. Someone who knows the right way through the trouble and in the trouble. And so David turns to God again. Notice the way that he repeatedly asks God for advice. Verses 4 and 5, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths, guide me in your truth, and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. He asks again in verses 8 and 9, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Now, why is this so important to David? Why does he keep asking because he needs God's guidance, obviously, but I think there's another dimension here. David knew that when he was in trouble, he was often tempted to do the wrong things because he had a record of it. It's similar for us, isn't it? We are tempted to do stupid things when we find ourselves in trouble. So, for example, if we're having trouble in school, we're tempted to cheat, cut corners, drop out instead of working harder. If we're in trouble with our parents, we're tempted to lie and cover it up instead of coming clean and having an honest relationship, accepting the consequences. If our, troubles in, if our company is in trouble financially, it's tempting to what? To, to fudge the numbers, to make things look a little bit better. If our marriage is in trouble, it's tempting to quit or to ignore the problems or give up or pull back emotionally or like David to look to somebody else instead of working to get things back on track. So David knows he needs God's guidance because he's messed it up on his own. And so he asks God for, for his guidance and he believes and trusts in God because God's ways are always right, even when they're difficult or hard to understand. And then finally, 
We can trust God in time of trouble because God's purposes are always good. You see, the same way we question God's love and God's ways in times of trouble, when life gets hard, we can also question God's purposes. Here's a will for our lives. What's going on, Lord? I thought you wanted to do this in my life. Things were out of control. I thought you loved me and had a wonderful plan for my life. It doesn't feel very wonderful now. And surely David had some of those thoughts as he watched his enemies gather strength, as he physically began to deteriorate, as his own family was kind of dysfunctional and had issues of, of their own. And so he reminds himself through this psalm that God is good. Verse 7, According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Verses 12 through 14, Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. The Lord confides in those who fear him. That's, that's pretty amazing when you think about it. When David went to the Lord in prayer and poured out his heart, God confided in him. And what does God confide? What does he whisper in David's ear? He makes known, he makes his covenant known to him. His covenant that he has a greater purpose at work, that he will be faithful to him, that he is raising David up to be a man after God's own heart, that he's establishing David's throne that will last forever. And that's exactly what God does when Christ comes through the line of David. And so David realized in the midst of his trouble that something bigger is happening behind his troubles and that that purpose is good. And that's why we have verse 22. Redeem Israel, O God, from their troubles. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Now in verse 20, we see words like guard and rescue, but the last verse he says redeem. I think there's an important distinction there. Because remember, Mark Ashton Smith's story ended with him being plucked from the ocean by a helicopter. He was rescued. And that's how we want our stories to end, isn't it? When we're in trouble, we want to be rescued. We want our stories to end well. We want our problems fixed, our diseases healed, our fortunes restored, relationships reconciled. And sometimes God does that. But sometimes, sometimes it doesn't seem to happen that way. But what God always does is he is in the process of redeeming. Redeeming everything of our life, every circumstance, every situation, even and including especially troubles, making them count for something eternal. Romans 8.28 says he works all things together for the good of those who love him according to his good purposes. And so God uses our troubles to make us more like Jesus Christ. And God uses our troubles to prepare us to, to help others when they go through something similar. And God uses our troubles to give us a platform to give witness to Christ and God's faithfulness, even and especially in the midst of difficult times. Now, as you know, I, many of you know, I have three kids, one in college, one in high school, one in grade school. And I try to be a good parent. I have not always succeeded, but I try my best. But one of the things that's hardest about, uh, for me as a parent, is to resist the temptation to rescue. Uh, when they're younger, you rescue. As they get older, you don't, you don't rescue as much. It's, it's hard sometimes not to step in and intervene and, and to rescue them, to protect them, to, to spare them this or that. But if I did, they'd never mature. They'd never grow up. They'd never develop independence. They'd never be able to mature into the person that God has created them to be. 
because some lessons are only learned through times of trouble. And so it is for us as God's children. Sometimes God rescues, but God always, always redeems. I've seen it in other people's lives. I've seen it in my own. No matter the circumstance, God always, always redeems in his time, in his way, according to his will. God's purposes are always good. God is always good. Life, it's true, is not always good, but God is. So when you find yourself in time of trouble, turn to Psalm 25. Turn to God, like David, because we know his love never fails. We know his ways are always right. And because his purposes are always good. So next time you're in trouble, perhaps it's today, what song are you going to sing? Will you sing a song of faithfulness and of trust in the Lord? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can trust in you. We thank you that you are a God whose love never fails. That you are a God whose purposes are always good that you are a God whose ways are always right. Lord, I pray for each person here today that whenever they face trouble, and whether they're in trouble now, that they would, like David, sing a song of trust and of faith and belief in you. For in you alone, for in you alone Lord, we put our trust. We give our lives to you. And we thank you for who you are, for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen.